Cross Point. Hope you guys are doing well. Thank you so much for joining us uh, this morning. Kids, you can be released. Uh, your teachers will be back there uh, waiting for you. Now, in two weeks, we are going to be starting a brand new series. So that first Sunday in February, we're going to be starting a series going through first, second, and third John. Now, I was hoping to have the scripture journals for you this morning. Um, they had arrived. They were in my office. I picked up the box, and then my wife was like, why does it say Greek on the box? And so then I actually opened up the box, and it turns out all of them are in Greek. So unless you're a Greek scholar, I'm going to be sending those back, getting new ones. Hopefully they will be here before we start that series. But I'm super excited to be studying through 1st, 2nd, 3rd John uh, together as a church family. Now today we're continuing in kind of our January series that we've just entitled Be the Church. My hope in this is, is that it's an opportunity to align our hearts in unity for this year ahead for where we're going, and, and that this would kind of shape us for the year of, of unify our hearts. Where is God leading us? And that first week is what I really want us to be throughout this year of beholding God, that if we hope to be faithful in reflecting His glory, that we would behold who He is as a holy, transcendent God together. We wouldn't take it for granted. We wouldn't just rely on our past knowledge of what we think about God, but that we would be diligent in together pursuing to know God more and more in this coming year. Because as we have a clear picture of God, we also come to understand ourselves. This was the second week, becoming who God has called us to be. It's in the light of His glory that we come to understand our own sinfulness, but also the extent and magnitude of God's love toward us, who we are in Christ, our being a new creation, the old has passed away. It was crucified with Christ. And now this life I live in the body, I live by faith in, in who God has declared me to be. Last week, we talked about that we haven't just been called individually, but we are part of a body not just strangers anymore, but we are part of the household of God, one body that, that crosses culture, that crosses location, one body across the globe, the body of Christ living for His glory, His kingdom, that it would be on earth as it is in heaven, and that we are His hands and feet here on earth. But we also see how those the church as one body is gathered locally, as we see here, one household. And, and what I want to look at today is what that means, that while the body exists across the globe, we gather locally. This is when in Ephesians, when it says that we are the household of God. And, and I don't know about you, but like when Curse and I were first getting married, when we were married and we had to talk through, okay, what roles and responsibilities Who's going to do what? what? What are those unspoken expectations? Who's taking out the garbage? Who's getting groceries? Who's doing laundry? How do we share in this? What does this look like? Who's cooking? Who's cleaning? How are we managing the household? And then we added kids and the complexity grew. And as they got older, it's like, well, you're part of this household. You're going to have roles and responsibilities as well, not just in your room, but in the public spaces. 
This is normal of how we think through a household, and the same is true in the church. God has established roles and responsibilities in the church, and what I want for us this morning is to to understand what that is from a biblical perspective and what that looks like then practically and specifically here at Crosspoint, that as we move into this year together, unified in heart and mind. So let's pray, and then we're going to dive in. Lord, I thank you that your word gives us instructions, Lord. It tells us who you are, who we are. And then, Lord, it speaks to who we are together as a, as a church family. It helps us to understand how to be faithful in what you have called us to, to, to put into order the roles, responsibility, functioning as how we live out your household locally here. And so, Lord, allow your word to speak. And in Jesus' name, amen. I feel like this sermon's a little bit different. And I don't know if it's just me, but it's kind of talking through some of the practical aspects of church. Not just declaring who God is, but who God is as it's reflected through the gathering of the church in the roles and responsibilities that God has established in the church. So we see at the beginning that God established elders. Elders are men called by God to shepherd, to teach, to pray for the local church family. And I'm kind of pulling from two texts this morning. So if you have your Bibles, if it's digital, that makes it harder. Um, if it's in paper, I'm looking at both 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. These are the two clearest teachings in Scripture when it comes to the roles and responsibilities in there. And I, I'll be pulling from other Scripture as well. Titus chapter 1 In verse 5, it says this, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now, here's the thing. Titus and the Apostle Paul had gone to the island of Crete, which is part of Greece, off the coast of Greece. If you look it up, it's actually called Crete now, where Paul and, and Titus had gone, and, and they saw believers come, like, like people trust in Jesus, and now they're beginning together. And, and Paul goes on and continues in his missionary journey, but Titus is left behind, a young man, to, to begin to appoint elders in each of these communities, that there would be unique elders so that it would strengthen what remains. These churches, that, that they're young, that, that they're believers gathering together, but leadership within a church is what distinguishes a church from just a Bible study, right? Like if you're just meeting in your home with other believers and you're having a Bible study, is that a church? What, what Paul was establishing in the church was shepherds, was overseers. This word elders, it, it can also be like in First Peter, um, sorry, First Timothy chapter 3, they're called overseers bishops, um, here elders. These are all kind of the same. And the Bible then talks specifically about their character. Now think about this for a moment. Before God talks about, okay, now here's the role. Now, now appoint elders and, and here's what elders are supposed to do. Here's their, their job description. 
I'm always amazed that, that the Apostle Paul does not start there. He doesn't say this is what they're supposed to be. He talks about this is the kind of the men they are called to be. This is the character that they're exposed to exhibit. These are the requirements of an elder. And it's not what we would think. Like if this was a job description and you're like requirements, it's like, what's your education? How many years of Bible college? How many years of experience have you had? How long have you been there? We can think of those as job requirements for that, but that's not what those requirements are. It gets into the character of who these men are called to be. And in verse 6 of Titus chapter 1, it says, if anyone is above reproach, this is the same language used in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And I kind of combine these two lists, and you're going to see them up on the screen, that, that I want you to consider this list. What elders, what shepherds within the church are called to not be, and what they are called to be. Now at the top is kind of the thesis statement is they're supposed to be above reproach. That's not something separate on the list. I believe that that's this thesis statement overarching that says this is what these men are supposed to be and here's what that means. That they're supposed to be faithful to one wife, a husband of one wife, faithful to his wife. The children are to be believers, to be faithful, it says in Titus. In 1 Timothy 3, it says that they are to manage their household well, with all dignity, keeping their children submissive, not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, not arrogant, not quick-tempered, not a drunkard, not violent, not greedy for gain, not a recent convert. And they are called to be hospitable, to love what is good, to be self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined, thought of well by outsiders, and then to hold firm to the Bible, to teach truth, to rebuke untruth, to shepherd the hearts of the congregation by holding fast to the Word of God. 1 Timothy 3 says that elders are called to be able to teach. Now here's the thing. This morning and everything I want to cover, we don't have the time to go through each of these to talk about what they mean, but I want you to be able to see them in their totality. And there's two things with this that I want you to consider. And the first is this. God is more concerned with who you are than what you do. Here's what I mean by that. We can look at success and we can hold up victories, but what God is focused on when it comes to the people who lead his body, it is who they are. It is their character that God is concerned about. This is always the most surprising to me. When Scripture talks the most in-depth about the, the responsibilities within the church, he doesn't say, and, and this is what elders are supposed to do, and this is what deacons are supposed to do, and this is how partners and members work together. He says, these are the kind of people that I'm raising up, the kind of people to, to shepherd
And I have to be honest, like you look at this list and I'm humbled. Like as a pastor elder here at Crosspoint, I look at this list and I was like, I'm supposed to reflect this to you. And I realize how imperfectly that reflection is. Like my hope, my treasure is not in my own perfection, but that I surrender and depend upon that Christ is the true and perfect reflection of this. And I am surrendered to in continually being transformed by His grace and His mercy. This is why elders are called to be humble and not domineering. That they lead by example, not just in look at me and how perfect I am, but look at how great our God is. And, I'm, and I long to be surrendered and be continually transformed by him. This is the heart. This is the kind of men that are called to serve as shepherds. But too often we can just look at success. We can look at degrees. We can look at education. When what God calls us to look at is the character of these men. The second thing I want you to consider with this list as you look at it is who do you see in our congregation who is faithfully living this out? As elders, we're constantly praying and wanting to be faithful to who is God raising up as elders here at Crosspoint. If you see men who are like, I see this exhibited. I see this list, this calling of character. I see this gifting of a ability to teach and communicate truth that, that is unique for elders. Have you considered them? I invite you. We want to hear your voice of who you see living this out. There are amazing men here at Crosspoint, some of whom we, we've invited in and at different times we have that conversation of when is the right time, what's right for them, and, and how do we navigate that. But I want to open the door for conversation, to understand the kind of men that God calls to be elders. And I also want us to understand the key responsibilities. The scripture, though concisely it talks about the character, there are different passages where it talks about, okay, so what do elders do? <laughs> Right, well, what exactly do they do all the day? Like, what do you do all day, Pastor? Like, what does this look like? There's really three main functions of an elder. The first is to teach, to care for the doctrine of the church. We see this in 1 Timothy 3.2, an, an able teacher. We see this in Titus 1, to hold to the faithful message as taught so that he will be able to both encourage with sound teaching and refute those who contradict. I want you to hear that in that, it doesn't say get creative, pastor, to say whatever you want to say and just stand up there and tell people what you think. The charge to teaching and to the doctrine is to hold 
to what is true, faithful to the message we have received, not to create something new, but to call us back to understand with discernment what God's Word says and to bring us together under the submission and weight of authority of God's Word, to understand what is true so that encourages and lifts us up, that it also protects us from lies within the culture, from within ourselves, that would seek to come in and cause us to believe what is untrue. That teaching doesn't always, for the requirement of an elder, does not always mean standing up here and preaching on Sunday morning. The ability to teach, like you'll see, I do most of the preaching here. A.D., who was one of our other elders, he also shares in, in the pulpit ministry and in teaching. So what does that mean for our other two elders? Chris and Nathan, does that mean they don't have these gifts? No, it just means that those gifts can be expressed in different ways. Preaching on Sunday morning is one way that that is expressed, but not everybody is comfortable or gifted in being able to do that. So there's other ways that that teaching gift can be expressed in community groups, in training days, in in personal counseling situations. That same gift is being expressed, it just looks different. And so elders are called to teach. They're called to shepherd, to oversee, to lead, to care. Like, consider for a second a shepherd who cares for a flock of sheep, knowing each one by name, going ahead of the flock, leading them safely through the valley of the shadow of death, leading them beside the still waters when there's exhausted, the safe water of renewal and strength in Christ, protecting them from danger, giving rest in the green pastures of God's bountiful love to shepherd, to care. And Jesus is ultimately the good shepherd. When it comes to shepherding, Jesus is the good shepherd. It is his household. It is his flock. He is the only one who can perfectly know you, lead you, care for you. The responsibility of elders is to be an under-shepherd of the true shepherd. I've heard it called a sheepdog. At the shepherd's calling, we're apprentices. He is the master shepherd. As elders, we are called to faithfulness, to care for what belongs to him, to equip, to care, to lead, to love, and to pray. Acts 6 says the leaders, and I'm going to be talking about this situation here in a bit, But the leaders were saying, look, we need to devote ourselves to prayer in the ministry of the word. We need others who are coming alongside, but we need to give ourselves to prayer. That elders are completely powerless in and of themselves to lead God's people. It is not our wisdom. It is not our strategic thinking. If we think that, oh, because I have this experience, oh, because I have this knowledge or this great new strategy, that we're going to have this great and successful church, you have no business being an elder. We are powerless in and of ourselves. 
If we are not men of prayer, we will never be a congregation of prayer. And are we depending on our own strength, in our own wisdom, in our own strategy, or are we coming before God? Because, see, here's the thing. We might be powerless to do these things. We might have some worldly success and and whatever. But in reality, when we rely on God, the God who created everything when there was only a void, the one who spoke light into existence when there was only darkness, the God who, who rose from the dead, who redeems and saves, who returns, who worked miracles, when we depend on Him, when we surrender to Him, what's impossible? Who would you rather trust? The transcendent holy God or me? I pray the contrast is starkly, starkly different. And as we look to Christ together, and we humble ourselves before Him, there is nothing that is impossible. He took 12 men and changed the world. Look around this room. What is impossible if we fall on our knees before God? And I would encourage you, pray for your leaders. Who are they? As we kind of align our hearts, you'll see their pictures up. That that we are an elder-led church. I don't just lead and make all the decisions here and like this is just me. We believe in a plurality of men who are called as shepherds to lead the church. And I am one on a team. So that's myself. That's A.D. Daisley. That's Chris Dubois and Nathan Burns. This is who God presently has as elders here. And the Bible exhorts elders. I want you to hear the charge that your elders are charged with. In 1 Peter, it says, So I exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God. Just in case there's any confusion on ownership, you are not my flock. This is not my church. This is the flock of God belonging to Him that is among you, exercising oversight, not because there's compulsion, but because there's a willingness as God would have you, not for for shameful gain, but with an eagerness, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock so that when the chief shepherd, when the head shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. This is the calling on your elders. And so I would encourage you, pray for your elders. Pray in in three ways. Pray for humility and gentleness. Like sometimes I feel like in our culture, we celebrate leaders. We don't want them to be domineering, but we celebrate domineering leaders who say it like it is, who get things done, and it doesn't matter how many dead bodies are left behind the bus. And we champion that kind of leader. 
But that's not what elders are called to in the church. They are called to gentleness, not dominance, to humility, not pride. Even as we are called to live as an example before you, to where we should be able to say, look at my life and what Christ has done, and yet in complete humility with gentleness. Pray for humility and gentleness of your leaders. Pray for wisdom and discernment. James 3 says that not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. This sits on me. When you think about what this means, that when I stand before God, I'm going to have to give an account that is more weighty than those who just hear the teaching of the Word. Because I'm standing up here and I am preaching from God's Word, it says that I will be judged with a greater strictness. Not just in what I say, but in how I live in response to what I say. And it says, because of that, not many of you should desire this role. Like, that's humbling. Because I know beneath the weight of that judgment, I could never stand. Like, it is only because Christ died for my sins. It is only because I am covered in his righteousness that I have any hope to stand before God when I have to give an account for everything I've said in every decision I've made for how I've lived in response to what I've declared before you. We need, as leaders, wisdom and discernment that's beyond our own understanding. Just over the last two years, all the decisions, all the rethinking of how we do church and how we gather, and a million decisions that are need to be made. And knowing that we're going to make mistakes along the way, but to do so with humility and love toward you is our heart. Pray for your leaders. Pray for grace and rest. We serve with great joy. There's nothing that I would rather be doing. But I'm also aware of this. In the decisions and leadership that are necessary, if I begin or any of the elders begin relying on their own strength, their own understanding, their own past experiences to make decisions to lead God's flock, we're going to burn out. We're going to become harsh and unloving and prideful. Like as leaders, we need to be resting in who Christ is and what he has done to receive his rest, to receive his grace so that we can extend to the congregation what we have received from God. Please pray for your leaders. But know that it is more than just the elders. The elders are a small part of what God has called as leaders. Like we're not called to do everything ourselves as everybody else just sits back and watches. God has also raised up deacons, 
men and women who serve the elders in the congregation by leading specific, practical, and logistical needs. And here's the thing. When it comes to deacons, it doesn't say, now here's what deacons are supposed to do. It does the exact same thing it did for the elders. It goes back to the character. What's the character of these people who, who, who lead alongside the elders? To care for the practical needs. And, and the list is essentially the same. The only difference that you'll see up on the bottom, and you'll kind of see it marked off, is they are not called to be able to teach. But the character is the same. And the reason why is this is not some special character leaders are called to exhibit. This is the character we are all called to exhibit. This is the character, the, 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 the job requirements of what it means to be a follower of Christ. All it's saying is, is of a leader is that they are faithfully walking in what God has called them to. But don't think that, oh, there's this different standard for leaders than there is for me, and I'm glad I don't have to live up to that standard. No, if you are a follower of Christ, this is the standard. This is the character that you are called in. Leaders are called to to demonstrate that so that as the congregation looks to them, they can say, yes, I see that being lived out imperfectly, but I see it being lived out. But there are some a principle when it comes to, okay, who are deacons? What do deacons do here? How, like, what are the roles and responsibilities of this household? How does this work? And we kind of understand the principle of this from Acts chapter 6. See, th- there was this example that we see that the church was experiencing, and you'll see the full text up there, of this racial divide in the church. Those who were saying, hey, our widows aren't being cared for because we speak a different language the Hellenist, and, and like, what's the background? It would be as if here, those here said, well, my first language is Spanish, and I don't feel like we're receiving the same care and consideration because as those whose first language is English. And, and we're hurt by that. And that's not fair. And the elders see this, and they're like, yeah, that's not cool. There is a problem here. And we need to address that. But what the elders are saying is like, But then they also felt the tension. So that there's food and distribution to widows that wasn't happening as it should happen within the church. But the elders are like, we're to be devoted to prayer and and the ministry of the word. We have our responsibility. So call among yourselves seven men who will raise up, who have this character, who are above reproach, who can serve in this capacity. And it's here that we kind of get the principle of what deacons do. Deacons aren't just, well, they have this role and this role and this role. The word deacon by itself is a servant. Like the, in this passage, it says, are we called to wait tables? Because that word for deacon literally means, think of your waitress. If you go out to eat for lunch today and your waitress is bringing you food and taking your order back and, and they're kind of going in between you and the kitchen, that's what it means to be a deacon, It's someone who serves alongside the elders to help care for specific and practical needs. And that can change. The needs of a church are different. What we need as a household looks different than what another local church may need in theirs. And so 
who's a deacon, what roles are needed for a deacon, that may change over time. Presently, I want you to see up on the screen what that looks like presently. This is who is currently serving as a deacon here at Crosspoint, like Anthony. When you think about up here, he's not doing it uh, on his own. The, the other thing with deacons, I just want to make sure are clear, is that they're not just called to do the work of the ministry, but to facilitate and lead that ministry for the participation of the whole. They're kind of serving as a point. So Anthony doesn't just stand up here by himself leading worship. He's leading a team of people, bringing them on to, to help lead us in worship and organizing in communication for our Sunday morning gatherings. Jenny Bauman is, is serving as a deacon of family and kids ministry, coming alongside our families to disciple our kids faithfully. This looks like the kids on Sunday morning, families and communication that goes out, caring for a broad team of volunteers who serve each month in the ministry to our kids and to their families and to the volunteers who serve. Tina Hood, over our women's ministry, serving as, as that gathering, the space outside of Sunday morning for connection, for growth, for community. Jonathan, over our student ministry, middle and high school students having a place of community for age-specific growth, to see their hearts cultivated to love Christ as they grow in their understanding of who God is and to see that expressed through the obedience of their hands. Candy Fox, hospitality, those things that like just coming in and, and having a cup of coffee, that, that warmth of environment, being able to sit out at those tables, our potluck lunches, take organization. There's a real aspect of what we value and that ability to sit across the table from one another over a meal and be able to have conversation. But all of that takes logistical planning. That's Candy who's helping to organize that. She's not doing it alone. We're participating in that. But there does need to be that person who's helping to lead. Terrell and Lindsay Burt over our Connections Ministry from what it looks like when you walk in and, and, and you get a guide and there's somebody back at the connect table to help you, like, how do I take that next step, whether you're new here or, or a partner and looking to take that next step of deeper connection that takes organization and planning that they help with. Steve Bauman, who you'll hear from later, who's over the, the, the missions here. What is the outward expression of this beauty of the gospel that we have beheld together? now being reflected to our community locally and globally. There's other areas that are currently being facilitated by elders that we're praying that God would continue to raise deacons. Our men's ministry, our care ministry, the, the stewardship ministry, the finances. These are areas that when we look at where do we need continual participation. It is a broad leadership team that seeks to work together, to collaborate together for the good of our household. 
But what I also want you to hear is it's not just these leaders. A church is not just like, okay, if my picture's not up on the screen, then I just get to sit here, right? <laughs> I just get to, to consume and, and partake and then go on my merry way and yay, glad I don't have to move any benches or do anything. That's not at all <laughs> what it means. There is a third aspect, and that's our partners, our members. You'll hear churches say it different way. Like, what does it mean to be a member at a church? We use partner. These two words are synonymous. And we see both in Scripture, in all honesty. Like, I can look to 1 Corinthians 12, and I can say, oh, it talks about your one body with many members. And so, see, aren't we all members of one body? And yes, that's true. I shy away from the term membership because I feel like it brings up something passive. Like, you have a membership to Costco or to Sam's Club, right? an annual fee, and that puts you on a list that gets you special rewards to pay less when you go in. And, and I don't want church to be treated like that, where my name's on a list and I've contributed at something, so now I get something and I'm just going to be here for what I can get. That's not the mentality. That's not what the scripture means by membership but it can be what kind of seeps in culturally. And that's why I like the idea more of partners. But I find myself, I use both. So you have to forgive me. But the intention is partners. <laughs> because like we read in Philippians when Paul is writing to the church in Philippi and he's writing them, and he's like, I give thanks. Every time I think of you, I, I give thanks. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. See, partnership in its own language has something about an active engagement. I'm not just here to receive these special benefits. I'm here to give something, to partake in something together, to, to sacrifice, to serve, to, to give, to be engaged. And that's what it means to be a partner. Like the leaders of the church, the roles and responsibility that says in Ephesians 4 is to equip the saints of the church for the work of the ministry. Not just so partners can sit back and observe, but that these people who exhibit the characters, characteristics, are able then to equip the body so that together we are reflecting the glory of God. This is who we are, how God has determined to organize and bring order to a local household of faith. <clears throat> that the whole body, the whole church working together to display his holiness and wonder. And if we think about how transcendent God is, how arrogant would we have to be to assume that I could, in my own, by myself, reflect such a holy, transcendent God. I can in part. I'm needy and whole. But together, the multifaceted beauty of the body working together, being equipped together, organized together, shepherded together, as we behold the beauty of who Christ is, together we reflect the transcendence of God in ways that we never could individually. 
And so I want to end in a specific way this morning, that as partners, it's a commitment to become disciples who are making disciples. It's a call to to discipleship, to say, yes, I am a follower of Christ and I am following him, but it's also a commitment to one another. It's saying locally, in this household, I belong to this household of faith. I belong to this family. This is who I'm serving. This is who I'm in relationship with together. And so I want to encourage you, if you are a partner, would you stand for a moment? I don't mean to make anybody else feel awkward in this, but I want the partners to be able to look around and to say, this is who I'm in the household with. (laughs) This is who we're called to one another with. This is my family of faith. You can be seated. I want to encourage you. If you're not currently a partner and you're like, okay, what does this mean? I'd like to learn more. I do want to encourage you, come and talk to us at the connect table after the service. You're going to hear us go through together the covenant that we make together and what this means. But we have a class for partners to make sure that our hearts are aligned, not just with what we believe, but how we live that out here. And so if you're like, hey, I'm not sure, but I'm interested, it's a great opportunity to let's have that conversation together. And let's talk through what that would look like. So if you're interested in exploring, how do I become partner, not member, partner here, like here at Crosspoint? We want to help you and love to have that conversation with you. But what I've done in closing this morning is I've kind of turned our covenant, our partnership covenant, into a responsive reading. I want us to hear, to share in this one another. This is a a document at the end of the partnership thing we sign saying, yes, we covenant together with these believers. But something that is on my heart is that this would be something that is shared in together, that we understand and, and even like, it's been such a weird season over the last two years and a lot of people have joined the church and we typically like to have those new partners come up front. And in those moments, I want us to be able to remind ourselves of the covenant we've made to one another. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read a statement, and then you'll see at the bottom a response that I want you to hear, whether you're a partner or not, as God leads to share in this, or you can just listen and observe if you're not presently a partner, but to hear this is what we are covenanting, this is what we are committing to together as a church family. It starts, and this part isn't up there and it doesn't have a response, that we have committed, that we have repented of our sin and we have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, that we've been baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and that we humbly and joyfully covenant together. This is the heart of what unifies us. That unity is lived out in these following ways. We and pray for the unity of the Holy Spirit and the bond of peace. That we will work together in brotherly love 
exercising affectionate care and watchfulness over each other, and faithfully admonish and entreat one another as occasion may require. That we will not forsake gathering together, nor neglect praying for ourselves and others. That we will rejoice at each other's happiness and pursue with tenderness and empathy to bear each other's burdens and sorrows. We will that we will seek to live our lives in worship of Jesus through an ongoing surrender with obedience to God in everyday life, all by the power of the Holy Spirit. We will work together in faithful ministry to sustain our church family's worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrines. We will, work we will contribute joyfully and, and regularly to support the ministry, expenses of the church, relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel to all nations. We will, when we move from this local body, do so in a spirit of unity, joining some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's word. May the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your instruction in, in giving order to your local household that is part of your broader body across the globe. Lord, I thank you for the clarity of your word. Lord, the weight of reality that you care so deeply about our hearts and our character, not just what we accomplish with our hands or the skills that we bring, Lord, but hearts humbled before you in gentleness and humility. Lord, I pray that you would lead and guide us as a church. Would you continue to raise up men and women as examples within our body, Lord, to serve the uniqueness of gifts and personalities being used all for your glory? Lord, would you keep our eyes fixed upon you, transforming us day by day together into your image? And in Jesus' name, amen.